what we're looking for is uh, in this paradigm is going to be more volatile for all the uncertainty that we have. There's a lot of risk embedded. Things are going to happen. And uh, I think the key thing is that investors build portfolios that are truly diversified. It's, you cannot and should not be fighting volatility. Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Wealthion founder Adam Taggart. Thanks for joining us for part two of our interview with money manager Diego Perilla. If you haven't yet watched part one of our discussion with Diego, in which he explains the major challenges Europe faces and how they will play into the global macro picture from here, head over to our channel at youtube.com slash Wealthion and watch it there first. It sets the context for the investment themes we discuss in this video. Diego also shares his advice for successfully navigating capital through the quote, volatile and hostile market environment he sees ahead for the rest of the year. So be sure to stick around for that. Okay, let's get started watching part two of our interview with Diego Perillo. The question I want to ask you is just sort of like, well, how bad do you think things are going to get? Um, I realize that's a really big amorphous question. So why don't we try to focus it on sort of the next year? Um, you recently wrote that you expect a quote, volatile and hostile second half to the year as multiple risk factors collide. Um, what are you watching most closely here? What do you think is going to be most important and sort of, you know, how is this all going to manifest going forward? Are we going to see market corrections? Are we going to see economies tip into recession? Are we going to see more Sri Lankas as people rise up against governments that that aren't able to, you know, manage the impact that their populaces are feeling here? Yeah, I think they're all they're all happening at the same time they're all interrelated and uh i think the the, the key driver of the markets uh, is going to continue to be uh, interest rates and uh, particularly in the us they're setting the pace um the 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 view here and and the and the key uh challenge is not only interest rates in in absolute terms but also relative to inflation and uh in 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 absolute terms uh you know, I, I think we will continue to see the Fed to hike uh, aggressively. Um, the higher equity markets stay, and you know, uh, the, with with financial conditions being quite quite loose, uh, the more likely they hike even more. And so, in some ways, this um, uh, market rallies that we're seeing now that a lot of people are scratching their heads: of how, how is it possible that <laughs> equities are doing this? Uh, there's there's a lot of uh, pain on on short sellers on people that have been hedging. Um, I personally think it's um, it's a good time to, for people to to take uh, to put on hedges uh, to to be conservative. This this rally is is tricky. So I think the the first thing is to watch is what's going to happen to interest rates in a in a market where equities are high. They will push as high as possible, and as they do that, eventually equities come off. Yes or yes or yes. Uh, I, I don't see how, uh, I mean, there's a scenario where inflation just goes, uh, collapses to, you know, levels of 2 to 3%. Uh, that I think it's uh, unlikely. Um, so my, my base scenario is, you know, central banks will hike, and those hikes will be notable, but will be, it will not be enough to offset inflation. So we'll continue to live in a negative uh, real uh, interest rate world. Uh, 
with with inflation uh, continue to 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 be high and and the risks are in both ways um so uh, from there i think the other things key to watch is currencies uh, and volatility um volatility is particularly important and you know i'm going to tie this up with uh, portfolio construction okay I, I i use the analogy very often that when you build a portfolio ultimately uh, it's it's like a team you know i'm european so i use soccer uh, uh you could use different uh, sports they're all very similar uh but generally it's not just about scoring goals uh it's it's also about defending and and goalkeeping and um and in that sense uh, we've lived through a, a an era a period where uh, it looked like you didn't need any defenders or goalkeepers you could just stay happy with uh, your portfolio of 11 strikers and uh if anything went wrong mommy and daddy would come in the, the the referee would whistle offside and 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 that was it right um i think we're in a situation where uh, uh the next the match is going to be much more volatile it's going to be much more two-way uh and i'm not i don't have a crystal ball i don't believe in portfolios with 11 strikers i don't believe in portfolios with 11 goalkeepers and i don't believe the coach uh, should be uh, taking those kind of decisions my view is much more okay guys let's build a team that is truly balanced okay uh, truly diversified okay and by this what i am emphasizing is the, the the mistake the risk of false diversification okay many investors might say look i have a bunch of stuff in my portfolio i'm diversified okay say you have a crypto right you have uh, 20 cryptocurrencies that's not really really diversified okay you have a bunch of stuff but everything goes uh, up and down the same way so ultimately what we're looking for is uh, in this paradigm is going to be more volatile for all the uncertainty that we have there's a lot of risk embedded things are going to happen and uh, i think the key thing is that investors build portfolios that are truly diversified is you cannot and should not be fighting volatility you need to embrace volatility. You need to basically be in a position where if the market uh, rallies, great, I have strikers. If the market sells off, I have goalkeepers. And you actively rebalance. It's not about having a crystal ball. It's about having that team that effectively can uh, take the ball, pass the ball, score, defend, attack. That is the key thing, in my opinion. And uh, when you try to build the portfolios, there's plenty of strikers. In fact, most of the <laughs> investment uh, strategies out there uh, on the long only side tend to be uh, risk on place so I, I think my advice to 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 people listening to us is is this paradigm shift of arguably higher volatility more risk is is, is going to give opportunities on both sides and uh, you know we, we have to find positions where the portfolios are balanced are truly diversified and also i think we need to be very careful with position sizing and I stress this a lot, uh, but I think position sizing, there's, you know, uh, the ultimate thermometer is, is your emotional distress, right? Uh, if, if you're trading and you are overly happy when you make money and you're overly sad, uh, you're definitely trading too big. You want to be in a situation where you need to be careful with the leverage. Leverage is going to kill you in this environment, right? Um, so we need to be careful with leverage, look for true diversification, 
and have position sizing that gives you a much more uh, much more indifference in terms of what happens. The market's rallying, thank you very much. The market's selling off, thank you very much. And you are taking advantage of this by selling high, buying cheap, you know, buying cheap, selling high through rebalancing. And this is the one thing that I'm uh, basically emphasizing to investors. You need to uh, take that long-term approach and embrace this volatility, be careful with leverage and, 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 and seek true diversification because uh, ultimately, uh, let's not fool ourselves. Uh, uh, whilst volatility has been extraordinarily low, even in, in the last, last move down, the, the VIX sub 30 has been a bit of a surprise for many people given the, the sell-off we had. I, I think we're going to see a, a much more volatile period with those spikes. And at that point, it's, it's not just about volatility, it's about liquidity, it's about correlations. Yeah, it's how the team behaves. And so it's, uh, I'm, I'm trying to give this cautious outlook that uh, you know we're here for the long term and we need to build these portfolios thinking as a coach and the entire team. Uh, you know, when people look at their portfolio with 11 stocks and they're all in green, and they're very happy, that's a source of concern because if they're all green, they could well be all red. <laughs> so it's much better to find that, that true diversification and, uh, and that's what I, what I, what I recommend uh, from, from an investment perspective. Having said that, there's gonna be tactical opportunities and things that you can, you can play. And from my perspective, uh, as you know, our focus is much more on the defensive global macro. And uh, I think there's a lot of value in the, in the volatility space from these levels. There are assets like gold that I think are very well positioned for the medium long term. There are things like the dollar that I think continue to, to offer good value as a, as a hedge, particularly against uh, currencies such as China, uh, where you have this divergence. There are pockets of tail risk and, and, and extraordinarily cheap uh, insurance uh, against uh, different uh, pockets, things like Hong Kong or um, or even long-dated volatility or, or duration, which is also a great defender. So it's about building that team, that defense in a diversified manner. Uh, and, and to do that, uh, you know, it, it, it's an art, but it, it takes a lot of science as well. So uh, our, our focus tends to be much more through the options market, through insurance. But, but again, I think each investor will, will need to uh, build their own team. Uh, you're the coach. You decide how you want to play, and and uh, whether you you manage yourself, your money, or you outsource some of it. I think uh, just just uh, be prudent and, and and look for the things I just discussed. All right, that was that was a wonderful exposition there. Um, and you are continuing a refrain that a number of recent experts on this program have been saying, which is. Um, active management is is very important now in, in a way that people haven't had to appreciate much for the past 20 years or so um as you said you know most portfolios were made out of strikers you know over the past 10 years and they did great because pretty much everything moved with a correlation of one just upwards yeah. because the the coach or whoever was out you know the fed and central banks were out there you know flooding the world with with stimulus and support um, and uh, so anyways, uh, diversification, active rebalancing, those are all just critical elements of, um, of active management is as is portfolio sizing. And I had a uh, hedge funder 
Tom Thornton on last week, who was beating that exact same drum, Diego. So I'm glad that you you uh, added your own volume to that. Um, love your warning there about leverage in such a highly volatile environment. And, and this whole part about sort of embracing the volatility. I mean, that is that is a totally new factor to most investors, right? You know, it's been it's just been steady going for them. And so, you know, I, I think that in most people's cases, and of course, I have a bit of a bias because this is why Wealthion exists and we have um, financial advisors that we connect people with who understand all these macro issues, right? And so there's sort of sort of several things that you need to think through as an investor here. A, am I going to be the one to do this active management? Do I have the expertise to do it? If I don't, am I going to get somebody else? Well, if I go look for somebody else, do they have the expertise to manage this? And as I, I'll let you chime in on here, but I think that there's a lot of quote unquote professional, you know, financial advisors or even institutional money managers who have just ridden the rising tide. And, and that's, that's all they really know how to invest with. And, and they may not be great people to steward your capital through what's going forward. So you need somebody who is aware of all of these risks that you were just, just mentioning, Diego. And, and even though we're talking about a paradigm shift from passive to active investing, from what you're describing, it's not just sort of average active management at this point. It's like, this is going to be a highly uncertain time where you're going to need like active management on steroids to a certain extent. Um, it's not like your garden variety active manager who, you know, maybe was, you know, managing stocks through the 60s and 70s. This is somebody who's going to, you know, basically be able to be out there helping you dodge, you know, a lot more bullets on the battlefield that you would normally see in a, in a regular, you know, type of investing environment. These are my words, but I'll let you react to them. No, I agree. I think looking back back to the back to the the fact that every single one of your investors, uh, everyone listening, is effectively a coach. You you need to decide, okay, what sort of strategy do I want to play? You know, and, and and my advice is is think long term and think as a team. Um, when it comes down to picking your players, uh, you could have a, a player coach. So some people might be very good at, at stock picking or a doctor or whoever might have an edge on, on certain fields. Um, what is clear is that, as you mentioned, uh, over the past decade, I think it's been uh, the complacency and, and the markets have been, we've had certain episodes where a crisis occurred, but mommy and daddy would always come to, to the rescue, right? And, and that uh, has in some ways perpetuated the, the, the problem or made it large. I think as you, as you look to uh, build your team, um, again, it's uh, outsourcing some of that could make sense. And the good news is that you can actually pick uh, as many as you want in some ways, right? So I'm not saying there's only one goalkeeper. There There's multiple ways in which you can uh, defend a portfolio, right? So I look at my, my, my peers or people in the, in the volatility or defensive global macro space. And as we get to talk, whilst we might uh, agree with the, the bigger picture where things might be heading, you look at the specifics of the portfolio in terms of timing, catalysts, you know, themes, and uh, you, you want to have some diversification across that. You want to be uh, in a situation where Again, you create this barble of on the portfolio, and uh, and so uh, my, the, the point is, some of those guys that are stock pickers that did very well, 
still have a role in the portfolio, but they're not the entire team. <laughs> they can right. be very good at, at picking X percent of your portfolio, right? Right. It's, a, it's like the, having a, a, an offensive coach and a defensive coach, right? Not, not just one coach for the whole thing, but you've got a, a specialist. And that, and that is almost better. It's a good analogy because you want your strikers to score, right? If, if uh, there's going to be a few opportunities and you're going to have to take them. And the, the thing I, we, I keep uh, reemphasizing here by embracing volatility uh, instead of fighting it uh, is you want to be in a situation where things happen. You gave yourself that asymmetry, that optionality, that if equities are rallying like crazy now, this is the time to be you know, taking some profits on those equities to, so that you remain long, but you're taking some profits and adding insurance, adding goalkeepers. And when the crisis come and that insurance pays you a lot, it's the time to monetize that insurance and buy very cheap distressed uh, assets. And as you do this, you're embracing the cycle. If you're in a situation where you're levered long, like many people have done and it's worked very well in tech or whatever, if you're levered long and the market corrects, not only you're not able to take opportunity of, of the distress assets, you might even be taken out by the market through margin calls, etc. That's why I think leverage as volatility goes up is a very key risk factor. The other one is understanding these correlations. So you need to understand and accept that some things will make money, some things will lose money, provided things turn around and they, they, they complement each other. And as you do that, you're really embracing this, this volatility that is coming. Because then the power of compounding is huge. You know, just think for a second of a very, very, very simple portfolio, right? You have $100 and you have 50-50, striker, goalkeeper. As the market goes 70-30, 30-70, if you did nothing, eventually, if the market goes back to 50-50, that's where you were. You started at 100, you finish at 100. But if every time the market is 30-70, you, you sell expensive, buy cheap, and when it goes 70-30, you do the same thing, eventually, you may not end up at 100, you may end up at 120, 130, 150. The power of compounding in the long term is huge. And this is money that you make whilst you sleep. <laughs> it's not about the manager being, oh my God, this guy's so smart. He knows exactly you know, what the Fed's going to do or what the crisis is going to happen and when the war is going to end and when oil is going to pick. Nobody knows that. Nobody knows. But what we know is that you know, if you have these pieces in place and you rebalance them and you, you, you effectively compound on capital preservation, that's what makes you money in the long term. Great. It's too and much sorry, focus. Just, just, just to continue your analogy here of the team, it, it's, it's don't stretch to try to win the playoffs every year. Just try to have a winning season every season if you can. And over time, that will build the wealth that you're looking for with much less risk. Absolutely. I think you want to you wanna play long term. You want to play with the, you know, uh, it's almost like it doesn't matter. It, it, our job as the, as the coach is not to guess where the ball is going to be. <laughs> our job is wherever the ball is, have the right players to, to do the right job. And yes, you could be tactically thinking, you know what, uh, we're, we're going to attack a lot, let's over, overweight the, the strikers, but things could happen and you need the defenders and the goalkeepers. And if those guys can get the ball and pass it around, then you're going to be in a very strong position. I mean, for those who follow soccer, I mean, uh, Real Madrid won, won the Champions League this year. And if anybody saw the final, uh, you know, you'd see that the goalkeeper was incredible. Okay, he, the number of saves he made. So 
if the other team cannot score, you can't lose. <laughs> okay, you may draw, but uh, this this is how incredibly important uh, the goalkeeper is in, especially in low-scoring games like soccer, right? Um, so uh, again, this is emphasizing over and over the same issues, guys. At a big picture perspective, there's a lot of things happening. These are likely to lead to volatility. Your portfolio needs to be balanced. Don't fight it, embrace it. And to do that, I think the help of professionals, uh, you know, will will always be, um, I think, uh, will add value because we complement each other, right? Uh, you, you have your areas of expertise and some people are really good at, at strikers, at stock picking, at doing whatever in tech, fine. How much of your money you want to have there and some others like in the volatility or other spaces, all they do all day long is, okay, I'm the goalkeeper. When they shoot, how am I going to, how, how am I covering the goal, right? How, how ready am I and how am I going to pass the ball? So it, it's going to be exciting. I think the, the, the people that are now being taken out from these hedges arguably, you know, uh, should, should be keeping or adding. Uh, and I know this is painful if you've been too aggressive uh, either on the long side or the short side. So again, emotional um, uh, indifference, as I call it, uh, it's, it's great because you're kind of happy either way. And emotional distress is terrible because it's going to make your life miserable and it's going to make you bankrupt. So uh, I, I think uh, too much leverage and, 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 and too aggressive positions, too short-term focus, too crystal ball focused is your enemy. You want to have the team. You want to have the diversification. You want to play long-term. You want to embrace both. All right, Diego, it's breaking my heart. I've got to bring this to a close because I still have a ton of questions I'd love to ask you here. <laughs> we'll have to bring you back on uh, again at some point soon to get into those. Um, real quick before I ask where people can go to learn more and follow you, um, uh, just short answers to these, these quick questions. Um, uh, are there, especially on the striker side, um, are there uh, any sort of assets or sectors that you think will fare particularly well given this paradigm shift? Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll give an example. Some people might make the case for commodities, right? To say that, hey, there's gonna be, you know, greater demand uh, for what's out there because there's supply issues going on. Um, I know that there's some complications where um, yes, short supply does drive demand up, but we have a lot of demand destruction that's happening right now. That might bring demand for certain commodities down. Um, I don't necessarily mean to make this a commodities answer, but are there any sort of sectors where you're like, I think that's gonna do pretty well given this new world order we're entering into? Well, I think uh, for sure, I think uh, real assets and commodity plays could have a role, but let me take one step back. Um, I think on the striker side, you normally have equities and credit. So you could buy you know, the equity on an oil producer, or you could buy a bond on an oil producer. Both are strikers in the sense that if the world does well, they do well. The problem and the big difference between them when you build this team, there are two dimensions. We've talked a lot about the strikers, midfielder, defenders, and that volatility angle. But the other dimension that ties in with our macro view is, are you long inflation or short inflation? And I think in that sense, you need to go for assets, in my opinion, that have a long inflation bias. So in that sense, look for sectors where you, you're going to be able to uh, either uh, make money uh, or, or benefit from inflation. And for sure, you need to avoid things that will suffer from inflation. What do I mean by this? 
So if, if you buy whatever in Europe, we have the stupidity of negative interest rates, right? So you bought a 30 year bond, which meant you pay a hundred, you got no coupon and they gave you back $98, 98 euros, right? That was just stupid. But the, the key thing is that when you buy bonds, those hundred euros that you're going to get back in 20 or 30 years, the reality is they're going to buy you nothing. So effectively you're short inflation. So I think on the striker side, even if uh, I would favor equities to credit and I would look for assets that will be uh, benefiting from inflation, either because they have purchased, you know, they have the ability to pass that on or they get the benefit from inflation. Be careful with the sectors that are either the, the, the underlying itself like a bond is short inflation or uh, the company itself uh, might be squeezed by, by inflation. You know, even something like Tesla, which I'm not an expert on, if lithium prices go through the moon and electricity prices <laughs> are super expensive, uh, it, there, there's, a, there's, a case where, there's a case where they, they may not be long inflation. Okay, great. All right, and then uh, last question. Um, we had uh, in, investor Louis Gov on the program not that long ago, and he's from Europe originally and has a very global macro view. Um, he basically said, I'm going to pretty much stay away from investing in European assets, uh, at least until the strong dollar begins to reverse uh, and the energy crisis there begins to to ameliorate. Um, do you have sort of a similar general attitude towards Europe, or are there opportunities there that that investors should be looking at right now? Uh, Europe is very difficult. Um, I, I would agree with him that right now, with the current energy situation and, and with the way things are going with the dollar and the euro, uh, the, the ECB uh, hiked rates, I don't think they have much room to hike much more. Uh, and that's unfortunately for the wrong reasons, uh, you know, with sovereign debt and others. So uh, I'm sure there are pockets in Europe where there's going to be great opportunities that's outside of my my space, but uh, there's, there's not too many places to hide. Uh, I think whether it's, uh, you know, especially on risk assets. Um, a very interesting market could be real estate. Um, it's not particularly cheap, but I think inflation will remain high and rates will remain deeply negative. And I don't think central banks are in a position to hike rates aggressively. So. Uh, as we investors, you know, this new paradigm shift we talked about earlier, it's really a paradigm shift where we move from thinking in nominal terms to thinking in real terms. That's the real paradigm shift. Okay. So if you give money to your financial advisor in the olden days, you give him a hundred dollars, he makes you, you know, here's a hundred and one, uh, you know, we lived in a world of, of nominal rates and nominal returns because inflation was negligible. Uh, today, the game has changed. You know, you may take 100 and get back 101. Unfortunately, if inflation is 10%, and that's official inflation because real inflation is way higher, it's, it's a very different game. So I think as investors, the paradigm shift is we are moving to thinking more in real terms. Uh, and, and I think in that sense, uh, there are certain assets where, where you could see uh, you know that the 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 value, but overall Europe tricky. Uh, real estate is 
uh, also very tricky, but I think as a real asset where we're not gonna be able to hike interest rates aggressively and inf inflation will remain high, I think it's possibly a good way to be and where I'm personally quite quite invested. Um, so, um, you know, but, but overall, I think this theme, this paradigm shift of nominal versus real is something every investor should be thinking very, very hard about. And that means at first, let's uh, try to minimize uh, assets that are short inflation because your purchase power, your uh, real uh, wealth is, is going to diminish. So we, we have to, this new paradigm is all about, I think, inflation. All about protecting against inflation. Okay, great. Well, yeah. Diego, thank you so much for giving us so much time. Like I said, I really look forward to having you back on the program again soon. Um, for folks that have really enjoyed getting to know you through this conversation, would like to learn more about you and your work, where should they go? Well, they can uh, reach out through Twitter if they want uh, at Parilla Diego, uh, double R, double L in Parilla. Uh, and they can also reach out through LinkedIn. Um, if you connect through Twitter, you, you'll see there's a, a free newsletter called the Anti-Bubble Report that I publish uh, every month. And uh, if people want to know more about the strategies that we manage, then they can uh, basically respond, respond to email on, to, the, to the newsletter or, or just DM me on, on Twitter or whatever. But, uh, but yeah, I, I'm not hugely active. Um, but I, I tend to, I enjoy it. I, I, I like to feel the pulse of the market and, 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 and the views. And generally, I tend to be more reactive and respond to uh, outrageous things or comments that I might see that are either a crazy, misleading things or, uh, or, or just food for thought, very, very thoughtful analysis or things that make you think. So uh, I think Twitter could be the one way to reach out. But uh, if anybody wants to know more uh, through Twitter, we can actually get the uh, indirect contact through email. All right, great. We'll put up uh, the, your Twitter handle on the screen when we edit this, uh, as well as the anti-bubble report. Um, Diego, thanks so much. Um, really appreciate this great discussion. Look forward to having you back on the program again soon. Um, good luck weathering through everything that Europe's going through, <laughs> given that you live there, my friend. It's been uh, my pleasure, Adam. Thank you so much. And, uh, you know, best of luck to, to everyone. Look forward to connecting soon. All right. Well, now is the time on the program where we bring in the lead partners from New Harbor Financial, one of Wealthion's endorsed financial advisory firm. Today, I'm joined by John Lodra. Mike Preston is away today. John, thanks so much for joining us this week. Thank you for having me, Adam. Always great to be here and always great to, to be able to digest uh, some of your uh, awesome guests and uh, the markets that we're uh, looking at every day. All right. Well, a little bit of a crazy day in the market, it seems. Uh, but first, let's talk about the interview with Diego here. Um, I imagine a lot of what he said was probably like-minded with you and the team there at New Harbor. But um, what did you take away most from that conversation? Yeah, well, I guess first, a uh, kindred spirit in that he's a, a Spanish uh, a national. I, I have a Spanish surname. We both have double L's. So that you know, that that was a common thread that uh, it just reminded me, I got to get back to my home country where my grandfather emigrated from uh, at some point in my life, which uh, is on my bucket list. But no, I know I, uh, I, you know, I always appreciate when you bring folks that have a, a more worldly experience. Uh, I believe earlier in his career, if I'm not mistaken, he was in Asia, Singapore, if not, if I'm not mistaken, uh, and, and back in, in his home continent of Europe. Um, but, you know, it, it's really, I, I think, helpful to, to, 
get perspectives of folks who are in other geographies, other locations on this globe and on the ground kind of uh, observations like he, he shared with us. But yeah, I think he um, he, he covered a, a lot of the big picture thematics that we have uh, certainly uh, kind of uh, bought into or, or observed, you know, the the uh, unmistakable um, uh, impact of central banks and, and the, the dilemma that central banks uh, uh, find themselves in globally and and. Uh, and a diversion of courses between some central banks with uh, China easing at the time where here in the US we're tightening and even in Europe we're tightening, even though, uh, as he put it, the market's freaking out that they're tightening, tightening to zero, uh, tightening up to zero, <laughs> which just, it, you know, basically says it all right there. Um, but he, he used the analogy of the, what central banks have done in terms of all going down the path together is, is not a, a dissimilar analogy to nuclear proliferation. Right, um, countries have gone down the nuclear path over the, the last several decades to uh, the, the the potential outcome of of nuclear annihilation, and and it's not it's a, I think a very fitting analogy to what central bank policies have done blindly not not blindly but in concert together, gotten us to a point where we have a a real big problem on our hands that is almost intractable, uh, probably and and uh, almost certainly. Um, not uh, escapable without some some pain in the form of either inflation or inflation that can't get uh, controlled or uh, a deflation of of the asset price bubbles that have been engineered um, across so many different asset classes. So he talked about a paradigm shift. We absolutely agree. Um, the next decade or, or two or three, we think is going to be a, a heck of a lot different than the last three or four, um, which you know, from a broad standpoint, it was all about declining interest rates, disinflation, um, you know, all these all these things that are, we think, uh, in a paradigm shift, which is much what uh, Diego, uh, I think, alluded to in his, his comments. So uh, you're right, he did use the term paradigm shift a lot. Um, I'll also just say, too, it's... Um, it is valuable to get the, the ex-US perspective. And um, I, I will say it is sort of sad to see in some ways uh, Diego and and Louis Gov, who I mentioned briefly, who I interviewed on this this program a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, both basically say we're so uh, you know sort of uh, unoptimistic about Europe's prospects right now that from a capital allocation st standpoint, we just don't really see any good reasons to be investing in Europe right now. We think its prospects for the foreseeable future are bad and getting worse. And therefore, we're going to be looking, you know, to other markets um, to, to preserve our capital. Uh, understand the reasons why they're saying that. It's just it's a sad commentary on actually how how bad things are right out there right now in, in Europe. Um, but but yes, he used the term paradigm shift a lot. Um, I think something that, that he underscored here, which I think is really worth talking about for a moment, is that things are going to be a lot more from his lens. Things are going to be a lot more volatile going forward. And, and really, a lot of his in investing strategy sounds like, you know, I, I want to defend against, um, you know, the downside risk of that volatility. But but from an investing standpoint, my job is going to be to try to sort of ride the volatility, right? I'm going to try to position when I think it's more likely to go up and then position when I think it's more likely to go down. And that's how I'm going to get my investment return out of this new era, um, uh, which I think is, you know, understandable. Um, and uh, I don't know if I've talked 
too much about that specifically with too many of the other capital managers on here, but I'm, I'm curious, John, I, I know you guys have been um, highly defensive getting to this stage, and I'm curious as you peer forward, if you think that that may, you, you may switch your, your investing style to something more like what Diego is saying, where um, if I can use an analogy, maybe you guys have been sitting on the beach um, because the waters look too treacherous, uh, but at some point, maybe what you might do is get your surfboard out and start, you know, surfing the ups and the downs um, in terms of, again, trying to get your investment return. Maybe I'm murdering that analogy. I don't know. But but let me hand it back to you here, John. Do you, do you see things perhaps changing in that way, sort of the, the paradigm shift for investing that Diego was referring to? Yeah, I, I think it is a, a very possible, maybe even likely uh, part of that paradigm shift. Um you know, look, we can look at data, reliable data that has strong historical statistical correlation and, and make a very reasoned conclusion um, that not only is it possible, but likely that um, markets have ultimate downside in them to the tune of 40, 50, 60 percent or more down from here. Uh, as we sit right now, even with the now fairly modest pullback from the all time highs, we're still at uh, nearly three times uh, the valuation that has has been the norm over over longer periods of time that would be consistent with the kind of returns, you know, say double digit 10 percent returns that stock investors have come to believe are their ordained right at present valuations based upon that that same data over the next decade. Stocks are likely, broadly speaking, stocks are likely to return negative returns. Uh, it's just uh when you get to such extreme valuations, but that's a big picture kind of view over the next decade or so, and and that reliability of of that those kinds of forecasts uh, becomes stronger the longer you look out. Those those kinds of valuation metrics have very little um, uh, kind of value, I suppose, in in the very short term. And we've been saying on your program, uh, Adam, with you for the last several months here that we think we probably are in a in a kind of a new secular bear market, but one that will likely see many, many very sizable rallies that will have the look and feel of, wow, we're glad that's over. We're off to a, a brand new bull market. And in fact, we're in one right now. The market's down a little today, but the last several weeks have been a absolute almost vertical rise in the stock market off the uh, you know mid mid-June lows. Um, uh, I can say quite humbly, even though we were prepared and 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 not only um, willing but wanting to kind of play a tactical bounce there, we missed the, we missed the ship on this one. We we had a, a a discipline entry point that we were just shy of reaching, and the market took off. So uh, you know, a desire and and a uh, and an intention doesn't always uh, execute uh, at, per plan, and and we're humble to say that we've we've missed this short-term tactical rally. We think it's gotten a very long in the tooth. And we think that today's downside is probably, um, was, was probably very likely to happen. And, and we think there'll be further downside uh, from here, but absolutely we will look for opportunities to play uh, like we did earlier this spring. Um, we, we, we did indeed uh, put a tactical long equity exposure in uh, and sold it, you know, very shortly thereafter on, on a bounce. Um, we, we absolutely believe that that is a one way to not only add value, but also to help keep wits. Um, you know, these kinds of short-term tactical rallies can be devastating to psychology because it, um, you know, each one that, that someone misses 
the more intent they're going to be to say, well, I'm not going to let that happen again. And they end up getting jumped in at the wrong time without the discipline to sell or take defensive action. So couldn't agree more with, with Diego's comments about needing to have both strikers and defenders and goalies on the field at the same time, or, or at least being in, in our role as coach, which is what we think our, our job is not to predict markets as much as to, to, to put the right players on the field at the right time. And sometimes you want to stack the defensive side of the field. Sometimes you want to stack the offensive and I'll, I'll take the analogy even further. There's this notion of field position in American football anyways, where the offensive plays you're going to run on your, with your back to your own goal line are going to be different than the kind of offensive plays you're going to want to run when you're knocking on your opponent's goal line, the, the risk and reward of, of, uh, you know, doing a screen pass to the side is a hell of a lot different when you're at your own goal line where the opponent can intercept and, and, and dance, you know, two yards into your end zone versus, you know, at the other end of the field. So, so totally agree with that analogy that um, Diego, Diego, Diego used, but uh, we do think it's going to be really important to navigate what we agree are going to be much more volatile uh, markets, uh, even if the overall path is downward that, and that's why it's important to have that big perspective but also have the nimbleness. And um, here's the thing. I mean, um, playing these tactical uh, short-term moves can be done with risk controls. It doesn't have to be a all-in, all-out kind of decision. So for example, we, we oftentimes will use options hedging strategies in our, in our approach where we can uh, you know, have the fortitude to, to try to tactically play some short-term moves but have some risk buffers in, in place uh, uh, with those hedging strategies. Long-winded answer, but I totally agree. Uh, and and uh, part of that is, is having the humility to know you're not always gonna get it right. And uh, I can tell you, we're, we're, we're scratching our wounds a little bit here in this, this recent one. Yeah, well, um, I appreciate the transparency there. And again, folks, that's, that's this is, seeing in real time how the game is played here by the guys that manage capital, right? You know, sort of like a coach, um, you're calling plays. Not every play is going to be a first down. Um, what you're trying to do is just on average advance the ball in the direction that you want it to go. Um, and you guys at New Harbor, and don't let me put words unfairly in your mouth, John, but given the current market environment, um, uh, you guys are prioritizing defense versus offense here just because as you said earlier you know valuations being what they are and and risk factors being what they are uh the preponderance of risk is to the downside so be better to miss one of these you know potentially short-term rallies uh but keep your principle protected versus overstretching and being vulnerable to a, a market downdraft um and one of the things we've talked a lot on this channel recently is is okay are we are we in a a typical bear market rally that that suckers people back in and then it returned the bear returns to maul them <laughs> um or is this something more substantial and, and a resumption of a bull move here and um it seems to me that you still believe the former certainly correct me if that's wrong um but if that is indeed case then then the case yeah then don't it's not the time to stretch to maybe get those last nickels in front of the steamroller it's it's better to just be prepared in case things reverse here and if it doesn't happen well, then you have to figure out what plays to call next, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and the other thing that I want to uh, pick up on that that Diego uh, referenced was was the, the concept of position size, right? There, there is 
this notion that you can be tactically um, positioned for shorter term moves, but do so in, in sizing that is appropriate for the, the risk reward of that, right? Um, you know, all, all to say that here at these um, nosebleed valuations that we're at right now, um, our inclination is to, uh, when we do put tactical long trades on, it's going to be with robust hedges and, and a, an overall position size as a percentage of the overall portfolio on the, on the smaller side than if we were, for example, 50% lower than where we are right now. We would be inclined to, to have tactical um, positioning that would be less uh, insistent upon robust hedging. Uh, likely, uh, but also be willing to put more of a sizable position because the relative risk rewards uh, would warrant that. Right. And, you know, I uh, I interviewed hedge fund analyst Tom Thornton last week. Um, John, I don't know if you saw that or not, but but his portfolio that he makes publicly available is up at the time I talked to him was up 27 percent for the year. So he's definitely doing something right in this environment. And he attribute he attributed his success I uh, said so the principal reason why he was successful there was because of position sizing. Um, he said that's his number one priority when it comes to portfolio management and said that um, no matter how much he falls in love with a stock, uh, he never has a position size that's above 5%. So he's usually about 2, 2 to 5% is, is the range in which he holds. And if it gets above 5%, he then immediately rebalances, right? Um, so glad you you underscored that. One other thing that Diego mentioned that I, I think is, is really important um, and it sounds so old school and obvious, but you know, he said, look, what you want to do is you want to position and manage the portfolio such that you're taking advantage of the power of compounding over time, right? Which, you know, this is sort of investing 101, but we have an investing culture now that's much more about stretching for the home run, right? We've become a much more speculative society. Um, both in terms of people's behavior, in terms of reaching for yield and reaching for risk, that I don't even know if in the mind of younger investors these days, if compounding really is even something they think about when they invest. They're just trying to see, hey, will this stock, will meme stock, will this crypto, will this whatever, will this thing double the, you know, over the next couple of months? I mean, they're, they're, they're always up there swinging for the grand slam when we've got centuries of investment history that just says, look, if you just play to the math, it'll take care of you over time, right? And so, um, you know, just not trying to reach for unnecessary risk, uh, but but playing your team in a way where you're trying to get those incremental gains so that the compounding can just, you know, do its magic over time. Um, it was sort of refreshing for me to hear him underscore that again. I see you sort of smiling as I'm saying this. Yeah, that's, that's I couldn't agree more. Uh, I got a good chuckle, well, not a chuckle, Adam, because you posted something of a somewhat personal nature on your Twitter feed, uh, I think even yesterday, regarding um, you know doing some personal finance uh, education with your daughter, I believe, and and uh, opened up a uh, instructional account or a, a, I don't want to call it a play account, but a, a, a educational account with her. Uh, and within a short period of time of doing that, uh, she, she or you, on behalf of her, were getting inundated with tantalizing, uh, you know, baits to, uh, you know, learn how to use margin to and, and uh, speculate with with speculative options positions, uh, as if the way to make money is 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 
find the easy path rather than the hard path, right? It, it's all it's all roses and uh, and 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 peaches and cream, right? Uh, if you use these tools, because it can only it can only make your returns that much better, right? <laughs> it, so yes, that's exactly true. Uh, so for folks watching, you didn't read the tweet. I. Uh, I have a 15 year old daughter and she came to me and said, Hey dad, I'd actually like to start learning a little bit about investing. And so I said, well, let's open an investing account and I'll put a little money in and you can, you know, start your, your journey. Um, so we opened a Robin account, Robin hood account for her um, because that is the platform that younger kids are using for this type of stuff. And, and I will say they've done a very good job in making the interface really easy and intuitive for this digital generation. Um, now, the deal we have is that she runs every trade by me. And, you know, at the end of the day, the trade, the accounts in my name. Um, and so she has me as a mentor for this, but because the accounts in my name, I get all the marketing emails that Robinhood is sending out there. And they're exactly what you just said there, Mike, uh, John. And, uh, you know, let's, let's, let's go back in time, you know, 10 years, maybe not even, you know, options, you guys use them, but you guys use them as a hedge and, and options are a, very specialized instrument that carry a lot of risk if you do not know how to use them correctly. Mm -hmm. Certainly, if you're doing naked options trades, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and it, they're really not for the average investor. I mean, you really have to have a lot of experience before you, as an individual investor, should be employing them. And uh, and yet now they've just sort of somehow very quickly become this sort of standard go-to way to invest for the younger generation. And again, it's all to dial up the leverage yeah. to try to hit that home run, right? So the fact that they are, I, mean, I, I think there's something like $150 in this trading account. You know, the fact that that Robinhood is carpet bombing accounts with that little <laughs> cash in them to go long naked options is just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, you know, I, I think immoral, um, but certainly not in the best interest of the users. You know, you're basically just being marketed the products that that the uh, that, that these brokerages are, are trying to make their their money off of. So, anyways, long story short, uh, it goes back to the point I was making, which is, you know, Diego's point about just hey, you know, play play the game prudently and let position yourself to be able to let compounding do its thing. Um, Again, it's so old school and, and and maybe obvious to those of us with some gray in our beards, but yeah. I think that that is actually a new and somewhat foreign concept, sadly, yeah. to today's younger investors. And, and to me, I just think that's criminal. Yeah, the, the one thing I, I want to—I don't mean to be the uh, the 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 cold water on the fire here—but compounding does work both ways. Um, you know, when you think about the economics of loss. Um, if you if you invest in hundred dollars and and you get a twenty percent return uh, and you're at one twenty, um, you know a twenty percent loss from there brings you down below hundred. Uh, you know uh, to put it to put it more starkly, um, if if you uh, lose fifty percent on your investment, you need a hundred percent subsequent return to get back to, to even. So uh, the, the the larger the decline it becomes a nonlinear, much larger gain you need to kind of get back to, to even. And that's that's the power of uh, compounding in reverse. It can wipe away capital and literally take away years, if not decades of of progress or savings or, or, or whatever metric you want to use. And that's why uh, when markets get this far out over their skis, uh, 
record high valuations, only time in history um, that we, we um, have been higher than today have just been in the, in the last year or so. We're, we're, we're beyond 2000, and, uh, 2000, the tech bubble, we're beyond the 1929 peak before the Great Depression. But we, not only are we in, in record high valuations, but we have record high corporate margins, which have historically been one of the most mean reverting uh, data points. In other words, it, it's about as good as it can get right now. Um, so there's so many things that are stacked th that um, can provide uh, or, or can be the source of what I just referred to as ne negative compounding. That's why we think being so defensive, so at least mindful of the downside is, is critically important because it can wipe out years, if not decades, of these short-term rallies that keep wanting to tempt people in. Right. And that that's why risk management is so important. It's a huge reason why, you know, we've been referring people to you for over a decade, John. Um, at least I've been referring people to you over a decade. Wealthion's been doing it since we founded it a little over a year ago. Um, and uh, and again, going back to Diego's sort of analogy there, to your point, yeah, it's it's less about getting the first down every time. It's just more about with every play, it's more about just making enough forward advancements so you can continue to get to the next first down and letting the the positive compounding uh, do its magic and and not losing yardage because you're you're making risky throws or calling risky plays, and then the negative compounding, you know, does the damage that you just talked about there. Um, all right, so uh, we're gonna have to start wrapping up here, John, but but you know, to my point about um, kind of the dangers of speculation and even that speculation is sort of being sold as investing right now. Um, uh, the market today is sitting here on bated breath to find out what the Federal Reserve is going to do. Um, and we've already railed about how you know people can't really be investors anymore because the Fed is such an important player here. Everybody's just focused on trying to divine what what Jerome Powell and a couple of people around the table are going to decide to do. Um, but you mentioned that the market was sort of priced for perfection right now, and that's why you're more worried about the downside risk. You know, what you didn't mention, although we've talked about this a lot, is you know there's a lot of factors <laughs> that that are that are trending to the downside here. Um, we can talk about the slowing economy. We can talk about you know a lot of the bad data that's out there. But just the fact that we have a Federal Reserve and other world central banks that are engaged on a, on a rate hike regime right now, an aggressive one, um, and perhaps the market is selling off a little bit today because maybe you know some whispers are coming out about what Jerome Powell is going to say or release in the next hour or two. Um, whatever he does, we'll talk about this and uh, decompose it for you, know, deconstruct it for you folks all next week. Um, but uh, but you know we have the Fed raising the cost of capital, right? Which, which by its nature brings down economic activity. Um, we also have it now getting quantitative tightening up to its full $95 billion a month uh, you know, magnitude. That's really gonna start weighing on asset prices too. So there are some pretty big pressures, downward pressures that are gonna be increasing in magnitude as we go forward from here. So that price per, per for sorry, priced for perfection risk that you just said, I think we've got you know some some real serious concerns that some repricing to the downside may have to happen soon, just given alone what the Fed's doing. Yep, uh, we can throw in a housing market that is uh, very very troubling signs of cooling off, uh, price drops, uh, canceled uh, offers, 
canceled uh, new new building starts. It, it's a really uh, the the pace at which those those data have turned down actually in some ways has eclipsed even the steepest part of the housing decline in 0809. So not not an encouraging sign at all. And one might think that oh housing is separate from everything else. As we learned in 0809, it absolutely is not. Housing is such a um, uh, an anchoring or or or, or platform uh, situation in, in most people's psyches as relates to the economy and and uh, wealth and stability. Uh, throw right. into that uh, job markets that you know we're seeing layoffs and, and hiring freezes. Um, lot we can keep going on and on. Yeah, and, and the only thing I'll just mention about the, the housing market that you said is is you know in many ways it is more important to the national wealth effect than the stock market simply because uh, so many of the financial assets in the stock market are owned by the top 10% of households, whereas housing is much more widely owned. So a decrease in home, home values hits many more people's psyches and then impacts their spending behavior. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, look, so um, we will comment next week on whatever the Fed announces in the next couple hours here, since we're recording this on Wednesday. Um, I, I have to start wrapping this up, John, real quick before I do, I'll just give you the last word. As I like to do every week, you guys are talking to real people, many of the viewers of this channel, week in, week out, hearing what their concerns are, what their goals are, et cetera. Any parting bits of advice for folks based upon the conversations you're having right now? Yeah, the conversation we just had, Adam, and that you have with your guests every week, uh, they're great uh, macro level type things. Um, we always like to bring it down to the individual level. Every every client and prospective client we talk to has their own set of circumstances. I, we think most people want the same thing in terms of uh, their hard-earned assets being well cared for and stewarded and and uh, uh, grow over time, but also protected from declines. But you know, uh, any given day, we might talk to someone who's not invested or very lightly invested to someone who's heavily invested. And uh, the reality of the markets today is the same for those two people, even though they're coming at it from different starting points, right? So our job, we think, is to bring it back to their situation um, for the folks that are heavily invested, uh, at least uh, encourage them to think about the reasons why they might want to be less so and maybe dramatically less so. For those that aren't, uh, encourage them that, you know, even though broadly assets and markets are overvalued, there are areas of, of value and potential and areas that one should be. We like inflationary type assets like, like uh Real assets, in other words, uh, like uh, so. So there's usually something of good, actionable point for us to discuss with folks, even though it might be different uh, because they're coming at it from different starting points. Um, so just bring it back to your your situation, where you are in your life, and recognize what um, you know the current markets could do to that situation if if they play out as probabilities and historical um, um, tendencies would would have them. Uh, likely do. All right. And you know, as, as Diego mentioned that you and I have discussed here, right? Um, we, we may be transitioning into a true paradigm shift where sort of the nature of investing and what, what playbook worked in the past doesn't work going forward. And so in high times of uncertainty like this, folks, I'll just beat my, my old drum here, which is um, you should be you know putting together an investing plan for sure uh, that that's you know, that, that fits the, the new rules of, of the new era we're going into. In most cases, you're going to benefit from doing that by, you know, following the guidance or, or, or you know, collaborating and building it with a professional financial advisor. 
there are many out there. Not all of them understand or follow the type of macro risks and issues that Diego and I were talking about. So do your due diligence and go find one who does. If you already have one and they're good, awesome, stick with them. They're literally worth your weight in gold. Uh, but if you're having trouble, if you're having trouble finding a good one, um, or if you just like a second opinion by one who does understand the issues that Diego and John and I have been talking about here, uh, perhaps even talking to John and his firm there, um, you can go talk to uh, one of the uh, financial advisors that are endorsed by Wealthion. Uh, completely free consultation. There's no expectation to work with them. Uh, this is just a free public service these guys offer. If that sounds of interest to you, just go to Wealthion.com. Um, and you fill out the form there. It takes literally just a couple of seconds. Um, so uh, also, if you're trying to understand the rules of what's likely to happen next, really one of the best ways to, to get a really good understanding in a very short period of time is to attend the upcoming Wealthion conference next month, because this is the theme of the conference where we're bringing in the top minds in money and the markets uh, to basically, you know, open their cerebral kimonos and show you exactly, you know, the data they're looking at and what they think is has the highest probability of happening forward from here in the rest of this year and heading into 2023. Uh, I've given a lot of details on this conference, so I won't go into a, a ton of it here, but just if you're interested in learning more about this, go to wealthion.com slash conference. And you'll see, you know, just the lineup there alone is pretty historic. We've got Lacey Hunt, Lynn Alden, Matt Taibbi, Grant Williams, Stephanie Pomboy, Brent Johnson. Uh, we've got uh, Doomberg. We've got Alf Pecatiello. We've got uh, Nick Gurley. We've got um, uh, Rick Rule. We've got Mike Maloney. We've got uh, Jeff Clark. Uh, John and his team will be there from New Harbor. We'll have Lance Roberts uh, as well. So it's it's. Folks, it's an incredibly packed day of essential information like this. And if you can't actually watch the event live, everybody who registers will get a replay video of it. And if you register in the next couple of weeks, you'll lock in the early bird price discount, which is like almost 30%. So anyways, again, go to wealthion.com slash conference to get more details on that. Uh, thanks so much for joining me again this week, John. Um, whatever the markets do next from here, whatever Powell and the Fed announce later on today, uh, we'll make sense of it for folks here on the channel next week. Everybody else, thanks for spending another week with us. Thanks so much for watching. Thank you, Adam. Great to be with you again, and we'll uh, see you soon. If you'd like to schedule a consultation with one of the financial advisors at New Harbor Financial, simply go to Wealthion.com. These consultations are completely free, and there are no strings attached. The good folks at New Harbor will simply answer any questions you have about your investment goals or your portfolio, and give you their best advice given their latest market outlook. They're willing to do this because they care about protecting people's wealth. And because Wealthion has connected them with so many thoughtful investors just like you over the past decade. We started doing this because so many people have approached us in frustration, looking for a solution because they're feeling out of alignment or downright ridiculed by the standard financial advisors who have been managing their money. You know the type. The kind that just pushes all of your money into the market, scoffs at the idea of owning gold, and when you bring up concerns about the market's sky-high valuations, they say, don't worry, the market will always take care of you. For many of the reasons discussed in today's video, we think this is one of the most challenging and treacherous times in history for investing. We strongly believe that today's investors are best served working in partnership 
with a conscientious professional financial advisor who understands the risks in play. Now, we're agnostic which professional advisor you work with, as long as they're good. If you're already working with one, that's fantastic. Stick with them. But if you don't, or are having trouble finding one you respect or trust, then consider talking to John and Mike and the team at New Harbor. Now, for those about to ask, yes, there's a business relationship between Wealthion and New Harbor, which we put in place to make sure everything is handled according to SEC regulations. All the details on this are clearly provided on the Wealthion.com website. Also, it's important to note that New Harbor is able to work with U.S. citizens, green card holders, and those with existing assets in the USA. But for regulatory reasons, they aren't able to take on non-U.S. clients. All right, with all that said, if you'd like some insight and guidance on how to protect your wealth during this unprecedented time in the markets, go to Wealthion.com to schedule your free consultation with the good folks at New Harbor. Thanks for watching.